Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women, a podcast that empowers right-minded women. I'm Lauren Evans, and we have so much to unpack for you today. A Pennsylvania state legislator berates a woman for praying in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic. The left still can't let the unproven Kavanaugh allegations go. Netflix drops an AOC-centric documentary. And of course, we crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. To break down everything, I have some of my favorite women, and can I say podcast powerhouses, in the studio with me. First, my colleague at the Heritage Foundation, constitutional expert and SCOTUS 101 host, Elizabeth Slattery. Thanks for having me. And Daily Signal boss lady, editor-in-chief, and host of the Daily Signal podcast, Kate Trinko. Uh, I don't know about the boss lady thing, Lauren, but okay. Thanks. If you are a problematic woman yourself or you support strong, right-minded women, please consider supporting the show by leaving a review or a five-star rating on iTunes, and please encourage others to subscribe. Shame on you. Shame on you. The amount of mental gymnastics it must take to think that you have a right to tell a woman what's right for her body, and yet you will support a faith that has protested, that has that has molested children across the planet, shame on you. This is what broken morality looks like. This is what broken values look like. That was Representative Brian Sims, a Pennsylvania state legislator who represents the Philly area. Last week, he live-streamed himself harassing a woman praying silently outside of a Planned Parenthood clinic and asking people to donate to a Planned Parenthood in that woman's honor. And so my hope is, is that you'll donate $100 for every extra hour that this woman is out here telling people what's right for their bodies. So I have a couple questions for you, ma'am. How, how many children have you clothed today? I'm sorry, I missed your answer. How many children have you clothed today? How about how many children have you put shoes on their feet today? This wasn't the first video Sims posted in front of the Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. Three weeks ago, he posted a similar video where he offered to donate $100 to Planned Parenthood if anyone could dox three teenage girls protesting outside the clinic. What we've got here is a bunch of protesters, a bunch of pseudo-Christian protesters who've been out here shaming young girls for being here. Hi. And so here's the deal. I've got $100 to anybody who will identify any of these three. So we're going to donate to Planned Parenthood. I'm going to donate to Planned Parenthood. So look, a bunch of more. white people standing out in front of a Planned Parenthood, Christ- shaming I'm people. Really There's nothing Christian about what you're doing. I'm nothing Christian at all about what you're doing. Hi, nothing Christian or loving or godly about what you're doing. So there's a lot going on here. What was your first reaction to the clip? He he seems completely unhinged. You know, like he seems like a crazy person in the videos. And and frankly, it makes me sad to see how low some people will go, um, you know, will bring the discourse uh, when it comes to divisive issues like abortion. And I would point out that I, I read this morning that Planned Parenthood has even come out against him saying that they don't agree with what he did. Wow, when you've lost Planned Parenthood. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think my whole thing was like, why is he so angry? Why is he so upset? Like, here are people, they're just standing outside silently praying. If you think they're nutcases and that this is just a clump of cells, like, so what? I mean, I, I I don't get angry when people on the sidewalk seem unhinged to me. I feel bad for them. So I was really struck by how angry he was. I'm sure our listeners get these comments all the time, the same thing that Brian Sims was saying. So I kind of wanted to address kind of these pro-life questions that come up. And I'm going to start with you, Kate. This red herring argument of the woman, how many mouths has she fed today? How many shoes has she put on a child? 
Can you kind of respond to that? Yeah. And I think the first thing to remember is a lot of pro-lifers come from a Christian background. And, you know, in Christianity, we like the Bible. And there's a passage in the Bible that literally says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing or vice versa. <laughs> I forget. That's not the important thing. And so I think if someone actually did a study of pro-lifers and what they give to charity, I think you would actually probably find that they do a lot for children outside of the womb. And just because that woman didn't choose to share that with him doesn't mean she's not doing it. He has no way of knowing. And um, it's really insulting of him for him to assume that. And Elizabeth, you are our constitutional expert today on the podcast. Representative Sims said multiple times that he uh, women are exerting their constitutional rights by having an abortion. Can you explain whether or not abortion is a constitutional right and kind of some of the Supreme Court rulings on that? Sure. So as listeners are probably well aware, abortion is nowhere to be found in the U.S. Constitution. But the Supreme Court read a so-called right to abortion into the Constitution uh, when it decided Roe v. Wade in 1973. And this was drawing from a a number of different areas, uh, provisions of the Constitution, including the 14th Amendment, the 9th Amendment, and saying there are all these other penumbras of the Bill of Rights provisions. And I I honestly don't really know what a penumbra is to this day. Uh, But that decision was reaffirmed in a 1992 case, which actually involved Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania. I think it was also really interesting that the caption of the video was even insulting to this woman. The caption was pushed back against Planned Parenthood protesters. Please, they prey on young women. They use white privilege and shame. They're racist, classist bigots who need and deserve our righteous opposition. So I think a lot of pro-life advocates get this, that they're anti-women by just being pro-life. Kate, can you respond? Yeah. So when it comes to most women, I don't think the argument that we need to make is actually so much that it's harmful. I think most women, when faced with a pregnancy, even an unexpected one, want to make it work. They want to keep the baby. And I think what we need to talk about more is that is possible, even in really tough circumstances. And when I was prepping for the show, I remembered this really beautiful story about Brianna Williams. She was a 24-year-old mom who graduated from Harvard Law with a baby girl last year. Um, I think the girl was about one at that point. And here's Brianna telling The View how she took finals when she was near her daughter's due date. I knew my daughter's estimated due date was um, around April the 22nd, but it also ran into the exact final exam period. And so I had scheduled all of my exams to take remotely because I didn't want like a water to break in class or something. (laughs) I thought that would be really embarrassing. And so I was taking an exam at home actually and I started having contractions, and I didn't know if they were contractions, but they felt like contractions, so I was just like, let me go and get checked, and I went and got checked, and the doctor said I was I was dilated, I was in labor, and I was like, well, I have a final exam to do it, so they were like, but they were like, you can't really go back home, so I was like, okay, well, um, I had my friend bring me my laptop and my bag that I had already packed by the door, and I just finished it there in labor. And then Brianna went viral last year because she posted a picture of her and her daughter, Evelyn. According to USA Today, she held her daughter when walking across the stage to receive her degree. And Brianna wrote on Instagram with a photo of her and Evelyn graduating from Harvard Law to say that my last year of law school with a newborn and as a single mom was a challenge would be an understatement. Evelyn, they said that because of you, I wouldn't be able to do this. Just know that I did this because of you. And I think that is a beautiful message. And I think that's what more women need to hear, that what they already feel that they can keep this baby is true and there are ways to make it work. And I think another thing to point out on the 
you know, harm to women is that um, advocates of abortion attack even the most common sense laws that states try to pass, you know, that are designed to improve the quality and safety at abortion clinics. Like, for example, there's a challenge right now to a Louisiana law uh, requiring doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at a local hospital. This is designed to prevent patient dumping. So you can't just you know, uh, a patient doesn't just go to an abortion clinic, have an abortion, and then go home. And if something happens, well, you just go to the hospital instead of having that continuity of care from the the, the uh, physician who performed the procedure. And, you know, there are other common sense laws that, that have been challenged and even struck down by courts, um, you know, addressing things like unsanitary and unsafe conditions. So I, I'm not sure that it's the pro-life side that is harming women. Up next, we're going to be talking about Brett Kavanaugh, the unproven allegations the left is still talking about six months later. But first, we're going to take a short break. Don't go far. Want to get up to speed about the Supreme Court? Then subscribe to SCOTUS 101, a podcast about everything that's happening at the Supreme Court and what the justices are up to. Despite being confirmed over six months ago, the left can't let Justice Kavanaugh go. At a Las Vegas event titled In an Evening with the Clintons, former President Bill Clinton brought up now Justice Kavanaugh, alleging that in the early 90s, Kavanaugh put him through a political ruse, saying, quote, he didn't have any problem making us put up with three years of Vince Foster nonsense that was a total charade. This is important to talk about because Kavanaugh brought up during his testimony that he believed one of the reasons he was being put under so much scrutiny was payback from the Clintons. This whole two-week effort has been a calculated and orchestrated political hit, fueled with apparent pent-up anger about President Trump and the 2016 election, fear that has been unfairly stoked about my judicial record, revenge on behalf of the Clintons, and millions of dollars in money from outside left-wing opposition groups. Elizabeth, some of our listeners might not be familiar with what former President Clinton was referring to, the investigation into Vince Foster's death. Why is this significant, and what does it have to do with Brett Kavanaugh? So this was part of the Whitewater investigation conducted by the independent counsel Ken Starr, which, by the way, was authorized by Congress. Kavanaugh was one of the young lawyers working on Starr's team, and the investigation, as everyone knows, eventually led to the revelation that President Clinton was having an affair with a 22-year-old White House staffer, and that also led to the effort to impeach him. So you can see why there's not a whole lot of love lost between the Clintons and Justice Kavanaugh. Although I would point out that referring flippantly to the suicide of a man Clinton has referred to as one of his best friends was a little disturbing, uh, but it also has nothing to do with the specious claims that have been leveled against Justice Kavanaugh. And you just wonder, why would Bill Clinton even bring it up in this event? Yeah, it must be. (laughs) (laughs) Just let let it go. Yeah. It's six months later, he's now Justice Kavanaugh. Yeah, you know, I think it's part of this this tour that Hillary Clinton has been on where she can't accept that she lost the election and she keeps saying in interviews and speeches over and over that it was stolen from her. It's it's part of this resistance movement that people can't seem to accept that President Trump won the election. Likewise, they can't accept that they lost the political battle over Justice Kavanaugh becoming Justice Kavanaugh. And at this point, they need to move on. But we're also seeing this crop up in other areas like this really silly nonsense over 
were protests to George Mason Law School deciding to hire Justice Kavanaugh to teach a class on the creation of the Constitution. Some people were saying that this was a threat to the safety of students at the undergraduate university, which is based in Fairfax, Virginia. Justice Kavanaugh is teaching this course in England, <laughs> 3,600 miles away. You know, it's a it's a boon to the law school to have any uh, member of the Supreme Court as a, as a faculty member. I mean, I'm a graduate of the George Mason Law School, and I would have been thrilled to take a class with any of the justices, and I didn't have that opportunity. And they now have three justices on the faculty. Okay. Well, besides Elizabeth's bitterness over her own education, (laughs) um, you know, I think uh, what's telling is how quickly people are forgetting the details with Kavanaugh here. I mean, of course, when we felt like lived through this experience, you know, when these allegations first came out, I was concerned. I thought, geez, what if there's something to it? What if he did assault uh, Christine Blasey Ford or someone else? And let's not forget, we had a very public hearing. The Senate allowed Christine Blasey Ford to make her accusations. She was questioned by an experienced um, prosecutor in the area of sex crimes. And when you get down to it, she couldn't remember, I believe, the year exactly when it occurred, like all kinds of relevant details. Where it occurred. Where it occurred. I mean, (laughs) this is... This is not to say that obviously sexual assault can cause, you know, sometimes people can't recall it correctly because of trauma, et cetera. But this was not something Republicans hit under the rug. Kavanaugh essentially had a trial. There are very good reasons to believe he did nothing wrong and, and, and never, you know, touched uh, Blasey Ford or any other woman in an inappropriate way. And at this point, it's becoming, it's smearing his character. And I mean, obviously, the left doesn't believe all women or the lieutenant governor of Virginia would be out of office by now. It must feel good, though, for Kavanaugh to kind of get some final relief from the Clintons that they're actually admitting that well, okay. this was... So here's the other thing. Bill Clinton is the last person <laughs> on earth who should be acting smug around Kavanaugh. I mean, I believe there is much more compelling evidence against Clinton. Kavanaugh, as far as we know, has never um, had sexual activity with an intern. So good job there, I guess. Um, In the the White House? In the White House. (laughs) In the White House. You know, Juanita Broderick, who actually showed up um, at the Kavanaugh hearings. Uh, Lauren, I believe you were the video person interviewing her. Um, You know, she was saying she never got time of day. Of course, Juanita Broderick has accused Bill Clinton of rape. So I do think that maybe we should reinvestigate Clinton and what all went down there. But um, yeah, it's a little rich for him to be saying that Kavanaugh should be smeared. That wasn't the only Kavanaugh headline this week. The Tenth Circuit of Appeals Court has dismissed 83 misconduct appeals against Justice Kavanaugh. These claims were from lawyers, doctors, professors, and other concerned citizens, citing Kavanaugh lied in his testimony and did not show the proper respect to the committee or its members when he became heated in his remarks. Elizabeth, can you explain to our audience why the Tenth Circuit is ruling on this? and why they decided to dismiss the remarks? Sure. So this isn't like a regular court case. It's an ethics complaint or a series of ethics complaints that were filed against Justice Kavanaugh. So to provide some background, uh, these complaints ended up at the Tenth Circuit because the D.C. Circuit, where Kavanaugh used to sit, and Chief Justice Roberts decided to transfer it out of Kavanaugh's old court. So the Tenth Circuit dismissed these complaints months ago, and some of the people who brought them just won't won't give them up. Uh, so now some of the complainants are asking the U.S. Judicial Conference to review the Tenth Circuit's dismissal. So the, the conference is a body made up of state and federal judges that provide uh, policy guidelines on the administration of the courts. 
But the Supreme Court justices are kind of unique in our system because they're not subject to the same ethical rules as lower court judges. Basically, they self-police any ethical issues that arise. So the Tenth Circuit said that for most of these complaints, we don't have jurisdiction and we're not going to pursue them. Uh, But turning to the substance of the complaints, they mainly focus on Kavanaugh's behavior during uh, the hearing at the Senate Judiciary Committee, saying that he demonstrated bias and a lack of judicial temperament when he denounced the sexual assault allegations against him, uh, calling them essentially a politically motivated hit job. I'm glad he showed some emotion. Judges are humans, after all. And it reminded me of Justice Clarence Thomas's powerful statement during his confirmation hearing, uh, when he also had been accused of sexually harassing an employee, uh, that he was subjected to a high-tech lynching. It was a very powerful moment that I think turned the tide in, in that hearing. So, you know, again, I feel like this is all just part of the resistance movement, and these people need to move on. Justice Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court, and I sure am glad that he is. And I'm sure most of you guys, like us, were watching at our computers, and after hours and hours of people just berating Kavanaugh, I think it was just such a great moment when he finally, like, stood up and really became this impassioned person. But with this dismissal by the court, does this mean the end of all these allegations against Kavanaugh? It should be. It's not It's not like it's a case that can be appealed to the Supreme Court. And that would be kind of an odd situation to have with, the, the, you know, his eight colleagues to, to pass judgment on whether these, uh, you know, whether he has the right temperament to sit with them. Um, so I think it is the end of the road for, for these complaints. Kate, last word. Do you think there's an end in sight for Justice Kavanaugh on these allegations? No, <laughs> I, I just don't. I mean, I think the left will bring it up until we're all old and gray. So... Actually, I'm already a little bit gray, so let's just say <laughs> old. Well, that, that's true. You know, we we do still hear about, you know, the allegations against uh, Justice Thomas that, you know, that he had mm-hmm. harassed Anita Hill. Um, but I don't think many people take it seriously. I think on the left they do. Okay. So for our next topic, Kate, Elizabeth, I have a confession to make. This weekend, I watched the Netflix documentary Knock Down the House that followed four left-leaning women candidates, most notably Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, in their primaries. And being totally honest, I loved it. (laughs) I watched it twice. I thought it was just such a great story to tell. Um, I still think AOC is crazy when she comes to to her politics, but she found something that works, and she's really connecting with people. And I Watching this documentary only inspired me to see what we could do on the right. And so here's a short clip of AOC comparing her own campaign lit to her opponent's campaign lit, then sitting congressman and chair of the House Democratic Caucus, Joe Crowley. So look at this thing. Everybody in the district got this Victoria's Secret catalog of my opponent. I mean, I'm not trying to gas myself up or brag or anything, but this is the difference between an organizer and a strategist. What am I trying to get people to do? Two things. I want them to know my name, and I want them to know that they need to vote. Okay, vote for her. Why? And the war on drugs. 100% renewable energy. Tuition-free public college. This is how a strategist does it. Where's the primary date on this? When you first see it, when you first pull this out of your mailbox. Taking on Donald Trump in Washington. Delivering for Queens and the Bronx. Deliver is insider talk. Deliver means pork. 
Oh, Alex, you're being too harsh. You're being way too harsh. Give him a chance. Okay, let's give him a chance. Let's open it up. Okay, we got this big, beautiful spread here. Where's the primary date? Democrat Joe Crowley is leading the fight against Donald Trump. So don't get me wrong, there were plenty of eye roll moments. She had plenty of crazy comments about climate change, about Medicare for all. Uh, it opens with her putting on her makeup and kind of having this kind of sad story of, I have to put on my face every day. And, <laughs> you know, male candidates only have to put on a light colored shirt and a pair of khakis. You guys, you've seen some clips, haven't seen the whole documentary. Does it intrigue you? Do you want to see more? Your thoughts? I mean, I think she's right that women in politics do face more criticism about their appearance. Uh, it's not a groundbreaking statement, but also I wouldn't want to leave the house without my face on. And, you know, maybe some men would look a little better if they put their faces on before they left the house. But I think if she wants to be successful and if she wants to be taken seriously, she should, you know, start rolling up her sleeves and, and start to learn about how to actually make policy ideas become law. Now, I don't agree with her policy ideas, but, you know, if, if she wants to be successful, I think that's what she should be focused on and less Instagram stories and, you know, tweets about, like, not knowing what a garbage disposal <laughs> is. So, you know, it's funny that you bring that up, Elizabeth, because I actually was a little bit sympathetic to the garbage disposal thing. <laughs> and this might be because I'm a millennial who doesn't know basic stuff. I do know what a garbage disposal is. But actually, ironically, when I was growing up, our garbage disposal apparently broke when I was two, and then we never fixed it. <laughs> so I was like 18 before I saw our garbage disposal in action. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So, okay, 18 is a little bit younger than uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez is, I think, 30 now. But anyway... This is a very long way of saying I probably will see this doc. And I do think part of what makes um, AOC relatable is she's honest. She's honest about her shortcomings. She's, you know, I think a lot of people um, have shortcomings that there's a lot of shame over and they're afraid to admit them. And I think the fact that she is so willing to sort of share things about herself and still be confident. A lot of people have made comparisons between her and Trump, and I do think in certain ways they are appropriate. They are both, uh, you get the feeling they're speaking very authentically, and they're speaking in a way that no one else is. So I, I find her very interesting. Yeah, I, I think I would use the term organic. Like, she's just very, you feel like what you see is what you get, and that's why everybody wanted to vote for Trump. So kind of watching this, how do you think us on the right can can be more organic, uh, I know Trump kind of has this like rough and tough, I'm going to say exactly what I'm thinking, but I don't know if that really targets well to millennials uh, and targets well to women. So what could we learn from AOC and use that to target women on the right? Well, I would say, I mean, just part of it is maybe having more politicians be more open. You know, she uses a lot of social media, you know, she takes questions while cooking, et cetera. Um, I think a lot of politicians would be very bad at that. But if that's something that you can do, maybe you should. Like, maybe you should try to be more transparent with the voters. At the same time, you know, I think the thing that sort of irritates me about this documentary is I'm assuming it doesn't get into, um, you know, there's been some reporting done recently that suggests uh, perhaps the funding for her campaign was not totally kosher, that there was not as much uh, disclosure as there should have been about the ties between a super PAC and her campaign. And I do think um, it's easy to fall for the media narrative that AOC is just this all-around great 
authentic, transparent person. But when you start to dig into some things, there might be more there than meets the eye. And she might be running her own kind of show. So I do think it's important that we keep that in mind. I'm just cringing thinking of some of the Republican politicians out there, like trying to <laughs> trying to do Insta stories or take questions while they're while they're cooking. I, I'm my concern is that it would just come across as very inauthentic. Well, think about yeah. how poor Mitt Romney was bullied <laughs> for the way that he, <laughs> poor Mitt Romney, the way he did, he took out the candles on his cake. Where oh, yeah. he like each candle oh, he would like. Was- Touch. That was creepy. One, one <laughs> candle at a time. Yeah. yeah. But then he said, like, he had a cold or something, and he was trying to not spread germs to his staff. Like, it was some super <laughs> kind reason that he had done, like, the world's most serial killer move. And <laughs> I think that, you know, you sort of wonder, like, well, maybe, I mean, was it kind of endearing? Actually, there was a documentary in Netflix about Mitt Romney where everyone was like, oh, he's a little bit, like, dorky in a nice way. And, like, maybe this is just it. Like, don't be, I, I generally think people on the right are so afraid of cameras, are so afraid of being honest, and they think everything will be twisted. And they have a lot of reasons to be worried about that, including with Netflix. But I think, uh, you know, pitch for ourselves here. When people like The Daily Signal come and say, we want to film you, like, we're not going to knife you in the back and maybe be a bit more honest than you would. Yeah, they definitely need the right avenue, uh, and it's not Netflix. I think the ending of the documentary was super representative of what AOC is Elizabeth and Kate, are you guys familiar with those electric scooters that they have on every corner in yes. major cities? Yes. So for those who don't know, there's these like dollar a mile electric scooters, kind of like those old school Razor scooters that you can ride around. And anytime you walk in the sidewalk in D.C., you're just always about to be mowed over by one. And so the documentary ends and it's this beautiful shot of AOC sitting in front of the Capitol building just crying and telling this like really empowering story about how her dad didn't want to take her on a road trip with his buddies and she she finally begged and pleaded and he allowed her and he took her to the capitol building and and she's like i think my father he would finally be proud of me her her father passed away while she was in college so it's just this great moment and she's crying and then it just cuts to her and her boyfriend riding around on these electric scooters <laughs> in front of the Capitol building. Were they on separate scooters? They were on separate scooters. Okay, that's key because I recently saw a girl riding behind who I presume was her boyfriend on a scooter like holding onto his waist. <laughs> And I was just like, that doesn't scooters. seem safe. It did not seem safe. I mean, I would say if you were lucky enough not to live in a town with these scooters, they go 20 miles per hour when they're motorized. Um, they are use, these people use them on both the streets and the sidewalks. So it's like maximum. Like if you're a pedestrian, as Lauren says, you're afraid you're going to get mowed over. If you're a driver, you're afraid you're going to kill them by accident because they're cutting across traffic. Um, so I find them very stressful. But I would also say it's interesting AOC was writing one because I don't know why feminists haven't been all over scooters, because it seems that men disproportionately use scooters, at least in Washington, D.C. <laughs> Our next episode, Kate, we'll have you on. Talk about why men prefer scooters over women. Scooter privilege. Scooter I think privilege. it's um, I think it's actually probably because shoes would be my guess. I mean, I'm too scared to use a scooter. I have once. It ended badly in an alley. But um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no, I mean, I I don't know. Whatever. These scooters. Actually, you know what? The other thing is AOC would be the sort of person I would bet would want to regulate the scooters. So it's a little surprising she's embracing them. Maybe, though they are electric, maybe this is a part of her Green New Deal. Scooters for everyone. A scooter Mm -hmm. in every house. Yeah. Well, you could. I mean, some people are scooting to work. So on that note, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we're going to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. 
Looking for a short morning podcast to give you the news of the day without liberal bias? The Daily Signal podcast is a rundown of the top stories you need to know that the mainstream media is probably ignoring. Okay, can I get a drum roll, please? This week's Problematic Woman of the Week is... We talk a lot about women as mothers on this program, the struggles they face, their role in today's society. So with Mother's Day this Sunday, we wanted to take time this week to let them know how much we appreciate them. Elizabeth, you are the only mom on the podcast today. I mean, I guess I'm a cat mom, but you're the only human (laughs) child mom. that's not a real mom. Like, sorry. (laughs) Uh, And you, you also, you work at the Heritage Foundation, so you are a working mom. Can you talk about some unexpected things you've learned since being a mom and kind of what are, we talk a lot about the challenges of being a, a working mom, but can you kind of tell us some of the good parts about being a working mom? Yeah. So, I mean, one of the biggest challenges is the importance of scheduling, like scheduling your life and your, your family's life down to the minute practically, uh, which I thought I was pretty good at the before having uh, starting a family. Um, you know, I went to law school at night while I was working full time and I planned a wedding in there as well. Um, but I learned that, that still wasn't taught by a Supreme Court justice. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, you know, but I've really learned to love my Google calendar. And if I didn't have it, I, I don't know what my husband and I would do to keep our lives organized. Um, so that's, you know, one of the one of the things, you know, that was a learning curve. Um, other unexpected things, you lose all spontaneity. You know, like every time I leave the house with, with my toddler, it's a production. There's always a missing shoe you have to find or, you know, you got to get snacks or um, at the last minute somebody needs to go to the potty. Uh, so you can never just like walk out the door. Um, if you're, you know, if you're taking your kids with you. And then um, one other thing that I've learned is, is that drinking wine or eating ice cream in the bathtub while reading mindless young adult <laughs> novels is the height of luxury, for me at least. I feel, Elizabeth, I feel like I've learned a lot about you. <laughs> I love a good glass of red wine. In the tub. In the tub. Because you got to multitask. I mean, mom's got to multitask. So, and I'm glad it's not a Supreme Court brief. It's a young young adult novel that you choose to read in the tub. Sometimes you have to shut your brain off. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, lately I've been reading a lot of Supreme Court stuff because I'm. Um, your listeners can't see this, but I'm about a week and a half away from having my second child. We're kind of hoping it'll happen during this podcast. (laughs) Is there a doctor in the room? Um, So I've been trying to cram in a lot of work stuff, even in the evenings. So I've been reading, I mean, I enjoy them, but like I read the John Roberts biography, not exactly, you know, the same thing as like Twilight or I forget what the series is called, but my husband calls them the sexy fairy books. (laughs) Elizabeth, what if you someday write a YA series about the Supreme Court. Oh, man. <laughs> like you, oh, man. You, you could make it about the interns. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that'll be a, a project for while I'm out on maternity leave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it also made me think, you know, they always say toddlers are like tiny little drunk people. Is that kind of leaving your house kind of sounded like a night out in college. Somebody's missing a shoe. Someone always has to go potty at the last minute. Somebody needs a snack. Um, Someone's throwing a tantrum. tantrum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kate, on a little bit more of a serious topic, uh, your mom has been on the Daily Signal podcast before. She's great. Uh, she was a teacher. So I wanted to ask you, what's something your mom taught you growing up that stuck with you that you'd want to share with everyone? 
So I think what she really taught me was just uh, her way of life. You know, looking back, she was and is incredibly selfless. And, you know, I think a lot of things when you're the kid, for instance, you know, Elizabeth described us, I'm sure to her toddler, it, you know, seems like mom could always be doing more. You know, <laughs> you think that. And then you sort of look back and realize like, oh, my mom barely had any fun for 25 years while she raised five kids and tried to make all our dreams happen and homeschooled us because she cared so much about our education and like really put some of her own goals aside in her case. And so I think it's something, yeah, just really taught me to think about others. And um, I hope that someday I can be as generous as she was. Uh, Something that I learned from my mom was the importance of cultivating your own interests outside of work or being a mom. That's something that she always did. And as you can tell by my wine drinking (laughs) and reading habits, I I do have some interests of my own that have nothing to do with my kid. (laughs) Um, But I also learned independence uh, to push myself and not to be afraid to try something new um, because it could lead to something really great, you know, or you could fail. But that's okay. And so I'm sure your mom listens to every podcast that you guys are on. Do you guys have a message to your mom that you'd want to say today? (laughs) So, well, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, I co-host the Daily Podcast, The Daily Signal. And my mom does not listen (laughs) to every episode. In fact, this will be a test (laughs) to see if she hears this one, because unfortunately, she now has a life of her own and a full-time job and a ton of volunteer work and four other children that she's trying to, like, sort of keep together. So, um... Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Um, Any gifts that you got came from me, no matter who the signature is from. (laughs) Um, Well, I know my mom sometimes listens to SCOTUS 101 because she'll text me and say, I loved that professor who was on or something else. And it's always a compliment about someone else, a guest who's on the podcast. And I'm like, well, what about me? Am I chopped liver? You don't like anything I have to say. Uh, But in all seriousness, happy Mother's Day. I love you. And I can't wait to see you in a couple weeks when you come to meet your new grandson. Oh. And Lauren, what's your message for your mom? So my mom, every... Thursday morning, text me. She's like, Lauren, the podcast was so great. Oh, my god! And she always asks me. She's like, I can't figure out how to like or, or, or give it a review. And every week, I'm like, I'll call you this weekend. And every week, I forget to call her <laughs> and tell her about the podcast. I, call, I do call my mom every weekend. So I just wanted to thank my mom for being my biggest fan um, and for just always listening and telling me I do a great job. I mean, that's amazing because I thought you were your biggest fan, Lauren. So if someone likes you more than you like you. Okay. Sorry to rag on our awesome host here. On that note, Kate, that's going to be it for this week's Problematic Woman. Sorry to be problematic. Sorry to live up to the motto of this show. I mean, in all fairness, I really am my number one fan for those who know me in real life. So don't, don't rag on Kate for that. I'd like to thank Kate and Elizabeth for joining me today. If you're like me and can't get enough of you guys... Can you please let our audience know how they can find your podcast to listen to more? Sure. SCOTUS 101, which, as the name suggests, is all about the Supreme Court. Uh, But we also have trivia, which is a lot of fun, at least according to me. Um, It is. (laughs) It's very educational and sometimes humorous. Um, Anyway, we're, we're on all the major platforms for podcasts, and we're also on Twitter at SCOTUS 101. Very educational and somewhat humorous would be a great tagline for SCOTUS 101. (laughs) 
So the Daily Signal, which is a little bit less educational than SCOTUS 101. No, uh, we cover the top news every day, as well as do one to two in-depth interviews about, um, so you get more insight. We have guests like Elizabeth come on and actually explain what's going on. So it's great. And uh, it's called The Daily Signal. You can check it out on, yeah, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Under Rocks. I don't know. It's all (laughs) over the place. So make sure to join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition of Problematic Women. And in the meantime, do not be like my mom. Please subscribe and share our podcast. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate it. A five-star review on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Under That Rock, or wherever you get your podcast, it really does make a difference. Have a great week. This podcast was created by The Daily Signal, produced by Kelsey Bowler and Lauren Evans, edited by Michael Gooden and Thalia Rampersad. Special thanks to The Daily Signal's editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our friend, Bree Payton.